Okay, so it's there's a very interesting piece of Torah from a great Hasidic Rebbe who's called the Yid HaKadosh, Rav Yaakov Yitzchak of Pesishcha. And he says a really great idea. It answers a number of interesting questions, and it gives us a mindset of what we're trying to accomplish on Purim. So if you notice in the calendar, what days of the week does Purim fall out on? There's only four days of the week that Purim falls out on. Well, we got, today is Tuesday. So you got that for today. Now, what times you always know that there's been a Purim? Friday. We've had a Friday. Sunday. Okay. And we have Thursday. Okay, so we've got Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Those are the four days that Purim comes out on. On the other hand, Yom Kippur comes also out only on four days. What are the days that Yom Kippur comes out? Some, some you'll know for sure. It comes out on Shabbos. Can come out on a Monday. Thursday. And Wednesday. So interesting, Purim is Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Yom Kippur is Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Shabbos. Is there any rhyme or reason to that? Obviously there has to be, very good, amazing. Now, first you have to explain that there is, uh, well, is there any days in common? Let's look at this. Purim's got Sunday, Yom Kippur doesn't have that. Purim's got Friday, Yom Kippur doesn't have that. Purim's got Tuesday, Yom Kippur doesn't have that. Thursday, interesting, Thursday is the same day they share, while the other days they don't share. Is there anything about that of significance? That's the first issue. Number two, just in general, obviously these two days seem to be very, very different, the Torah says about Yom Kippur, Vinisem esnafshosechem, you afflict your bodies on this holiday, and you have to keep it like a Shabbos. Uh, on the other hand, Purim, it's lasos osom mishta make them days of feasting and joy. So you wouldn't seem to have two more opposite days than that. Now, of course, there's a very famous Zohar that says, if you look at the name of this holiest day of the year, it is called Yom Kippurim, which literal now Yom Kippurim can mean Day of Atonements. But, of course, the mystical understanding is that this day is Yom is a day like Purim. It's a day like Purim. And whenever you say that A is like B, that means B is the real deal. So it's a fascinating idea. We're saying that Yom Kippurim, which for us is such a holy day, it's like Purim. That even would signify that Purim is even, even greater than that. Now, we just showed you there are two opposite days. How can they even be remotely similar? And on top of that, that Purim is even greater than Yom, Kipp- than y- than Yom Kippur. So the Yidah Kaddish gives an incredible answer. Such a deep answer, such a beautiful answer. He starts with a mushal. He says, how do you smelt for gold? What do you do? 
Well, you, you ore the gold from the mines, and then what do you do? You do a first smelting process. The sm first smelting process is where you smelt it very hard and you separate the impurities from the gold. So what do you have? You have a block of gold, and the gold is the goal is to separate the waste so that the uh, that the the new chunk is pure pure gold. But then there's a second step. What's the second step? You what? Hot. You can't purify the gold anymore. It's completely purified. It's already removed all the psalas. So the second step is you go to the part that's been expunged. And now you purify that. And you'll take whatever little bit of gold is in there. So now what you got left from that batch is all waste. But you got a little bit more gold that can now be used as well. You see the two steps, there's always what to learn from how the physical world is used. The first refining is making sure that you've got a pure gold. Second refining is to leave you with pure waste and you took a little bit of gold out of that. So now that we understand this, says the Yid HaKadosh, this is the difference between the Avoda of Yom Kippur and the Avoda of Purim. He says, like, like we talk about in spirituality, an idea of Beirur as well. We're trying to purify the human being. So what's the first step of purification? We are all like gold, but we got to purify that gold. So what do you do? We have to first get rid of the bad from the good completely, that there's no residue of any bad inside of us at all, and only good. And all we have is a perfect gold yid. Then what we got to do is go to the part of us that's evil and purify a little gold out of that. And even from the evil, get a little bit more gold out of that. And what he's talking about is two levels of spirituality. The first level of spirituality, you take what is completely good in that person, Torah, mitzvahs, all the good stuff about you, the incredible mitos that you have, and separate it from any aspect of uh, impurity that could hang on to that good. We want to completely get the good stuff separated on a person. And then we look at the bad we do and the bad aspects we have and to know there's still some good sparks in there that we want to take out and leave the bad by itself. He said, this is the concept over here. Yom Kippur is the first step of the purification process. On Yom Kippur, we have to separate the evil out from the good. We want to just remain good, clean, pure. Therefore, we can't eat, we can't drink, we can't have any physical pleasures, because those physical pleasures can house evil. They're not evil inherently, but generally speaking, when we're indulging in the physical world, we're not our best. Let's put it mildly. Okay? So in Yom Kippur, we're separating the good from the quote-unquote evil. You're fasting, 
and it's very easy to get the evil out of the system and not to have any left in you because really by the time you're finished with Yom Kippur, you're a malach. For 25 hours, you haven't indulged in the physical world. You're just davening, you're learning, uh, whatever you're doing. And that is the separation of the good from the evil of step one. And now you've got only good. You've only got good. Yeah, but that's all that's wonderful for Yom Kippur. But what happens the day after Yom Kippur? You get back into the world, and it's a challenge. So now, on Purim, which is about five months later, we go through the second smelting process. The second smelting process is we remove the good from the evil. And what we got left is the evil is put aside, and whatever good that's left is what we have with that as well. And now we have certainly clarified that on Yom Kippur we saw what the pure gold of us is, and on Purim we see that within the evil we can extract more gold from there. That's what we do on Purim. On Purim, as we'll see in a minute, what we're involved with. But this is the two steps. You follow what's going on over here. Now, let's look at the days of the week and see how this fits in really nicely. There's a Mishnah in Meseches Kalim, the 17th chapter, the 14th Mishnah. Now listen carefully. It talks about what happened on every day of creation. Kalim talks about ritual impurity, which utensils can be tummy or not. So the Mishnah says, on the first day we're introduced to the concept of tuma, because there are things that were created on the first day that you can make a cleave from them, a utensil from them, that can acquire tuma. For example, Shemayim for Aretz. Aretz, earth, you can make earthenware. An earthenware utensil can become tume. And therefore, it's a day that is susceptible to the concept of tuma. Second day, what happened on the second day? God just put the water, separated the, uh, the upper and lower waters, and the rakia to make the sky, there's no tumah there at all. Sunday's a day of potential tumah. Monday, there's nothing at all. Tuesday, what was created on Tuesday? Trees, grass, and things like that. Trees, you could make wooden utensils that can be uh, open to tumah. So Tuesday's the day of potential Tuma. Wednesday, what do you got on Wednesday? Sun and the moon and the stars. Those, do you have any Tuma there? No Tuma there either. Okay, how about the fifth day? Birds and fish. No Tuma over there. No Tuma there. Okay, if you make a clee out of a bird or a fish, no Tuma. No, no, no. We're talking about you to make it, to make it. So there's no tuma except, except for an osprey feather and a plated ostrich egg, which are rabbinically prohibited for reasons I don't want to get into. But it really, but really, biblically, there's nothing there that can uh, get tuma. But rabbinically, there's two things that can get tuma. Okay, what day are we up to now? Sixth day. Sixth day, all kinds of things that can become tummy. Animals, shrutzim, man, 
And if you make kalim utensils from the bones, whatever, talk about making utensils, there's tumma there. Is there any tumma on Shabbos? No. No. So now you're beginning to see where the pattern's fitting in over here. So therefore, everything God created on days one, three, and six, it's shayach some kind of tumma. Okay? But on days two, four, and Seven, there's not Shaykh any tumma at all. Okay, very good. So therefore, the days that Yom Kippur comes out on are the days where no tumma is Shaykh at all. The days that Purim come out on are the days where it is appropriate tumma. Are you going to ask me what about Friday? Friday, we said there's no tumma, the fish and the birds no tumma, but rabbinically. Thursday, Thursday, what did I say? Thursday, Thursday, Thursday. Thursday, there's nothing from the fish and the birds that makes tumma, biblically, but rabbinically, two things. So very good. So now we put it all together. Yom Kippur are the days that there's what? There's nothing that can ever be tummy. And on Sukkot, that's the day where everything can be tummy. And what about Thursday? That's Purim. And now what about Thursday? Biblically, nothing. So Yom Kippur is a biblical holiday. But rabbinically, there are two things that can become tummy. And Purim is a rabbinic holiday. So now you understand why these days come out on these days. So you're going to say, well, that's not so exciting. So it's, it's a cute thing to understand. But you understand why Yom Kippur is on these days. Because Yom Kippur is a day that within the essence of creation, there's no potential for Tumah on those days of creation. Those days of the week, there's not even any potential for Tumah. And that's what Yom Kippur is. There's no potential for Tumah. We separated it. It has nothing to do with us. And now we are dealing with pure gold. While Purim is a day, days that are very susceptible to Tumah. They're weekdays. It's a regular weekday. It's not a holy day. So those are days that are susceptible to Tumah. Not on, but the other days not. But one day, we said Thursday, rabbinically is susceptible. Okay, so that's a wonderful opener to start us off over here. And therefore, we understand that on Yom Kippur, we fast because we don't want to have anything near Tum at all to make the first clarification. But then on Purim, on the other hand, we have to get involved in the physical world. We get involved in things potentially and in reality have caused so much sin in this world. Too much food, too much wine, too much partying. That's the, work, that's the source of the devil. And that gets you in all kinds of trouble. Purim is where we go into the world where we have the refuse that's left. Shabbos, oh, that's a beautiful day. That's a incredible. There's, not, there's no evil on that day. We've smelted away. It's all good. There's nothing bad on those days. Purim, we go to what's left. What's left, you figure, we don't have anything else. We do, you know, most people should think about this. Why would you bother with the second process? You already got a lot of gold with the first process. Why are you bothering with the second process? What's the answer? Don't leave what's behind. And you can imagine how many billions of dollars you make on that part? 
right? So you understand. Like Yaakov going back for the pots, very good. God created the whole world. The whole world was meant to crown Hashem. So what do you do? Just take the good stuff and leave the bad stuff goodbye and nothing? So even in that realm, we have to work on purifying that. This is the avoda of Purim. Yom Kippur, we did a nice job. You know where you're holy. And sometimes we go there. But then what about the other days? Where we're surrounded with everything that's not so holy. Surrounded by so many things. We don't want to go into the details now about that. So what do we say? We go in there and we extract that which is good. We go on Purim and we, we have money in our hands like crazy. It's going to tzedakah. We got food in our hands. It's going for gift baskets to people. We go take some wine and meat and all this, and we sing praises of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and we say Torah at the table. This is the second refinement that we have, and that's why it's interesting. It says on Purim, many of the non-Jews at the time converted to Judaism. So, what do you see from there? That's again taking the from the garbage and still getting a little bit of gold. And they say that from descendants from those Persian converts became children of Haman. We're learning Torah in Bnei Brak. And from that also came Rav Shmuel Bar Shilas. So you see that from that is going into the grime, so to say, into the junk pile and extracting out goodness. That's the job of Purim on one level. So now the question is, so why are we saying that Purim is greater than Yom Kippur? So to this, we go to a piece from the Baal Shem Tov. And the Baal Shem Tov says an important idea. The mission says, Ezeu Gibor HaKovesh Es Yitzro. Who is a warrior? He's one who conquers his Yitzhar. So the question he asks, why does it start with the word Ezeu, who is? As if to say there's a few options. You know, you could just say, a gibor conquers his yeser. Why say, who is a gibor? Why have to say, who is? That means, well, we got uh, 10 giborim in the room, and which one is the gibor? So, it seems that there are many types of gvura, and which is the one we're looking for, the true gibor? So they give an analogy. The analogy of Baal Shem Tov gives is, let's say the city was a terrible thing. It was a democratic-led city, and there's a lot of crime in the city, and people are breaking in. So how do you deal with it? So there were two different types of people who dealt with the issue. One was you would uh, you'd, you'd be up, and when you'd hear someone come in your house, you'd start screaming. You'd start screaming, and they run away. It comes another time, you scream, and they run away. There's another kind. What do they do? They sit quietly in the house. They wait for the burglar to come. The burglar's nice and comfortable. He's getting himself loaded up with tons of stuff. And then when he least expects it, you jump on him. You give him karate chops and this and that. You surprise him. Tie him up and make him your slave. Which is the better way to go? Well, let's think about it. If you're just scaring the guys away, so what happens after a couple months? They come back. They come back. Never. I have a neighbor um, that they've robbed their house I don't know how many times. And they have the alarm and everything. 
Interesting. I don't have alarm or anything, but I got mezuzahs on my doors. That neighbor Nebuch just has one. I doubt if it's a kosher mezuzah. And they get burglarized with all the fancy non, you know, uh, anti-burglar stuff. But anyway, but if you just shout him away, he comes back. But what if you have captured him and you make him your slave? Well, if you made him your slave, now you totally have him and you've got something better than what you had beforehand. Now you gained a slave in that process. This is the two ways we have to look at Avodas Hashem and dealing with our Yetzirah. One is called pushing away the Yetzirah, and the other one is conquering and having him work for the good. So, for example, if the Yetzirah gets a person very excited to do an Avera, you say, oh, I see you have a lot of excitement and passion. Not you, I. Well, how come I never have passion when I daven? How come when it's an Avera, I have so much passion? How come at the end of with two minutes left in the Super Bowl, I'm this year I was so excited. If they're going to make that field goal and win, can't I capture that and be just as excited about hearing the Megillah and see how things turn out? But if you just push away the Yetzirah, he keeps coming back. If you conquer him, not only you don't have to worry about him, but he works for you. And that's why the Mishnah says, a zel ha-gibor. Who is a gibor? Because there's two types of giborim. There's one gibor who yells and screams and chases away the Yetzirah, but he comes back. And you know what happens? After a while, you get tired. After a while, he wears you out. Sooner or later, he'll win. But if you capture him, you tie him up, you look inside yourself and say, what motivates me? What motivates me to be arrogant? What motivates me to lust for things? What motivates me for these things? And I see, I don't have to repress that. If I would just harness it, I wouldn't have to struggle with it anymore because I'll be satisfied doing things that satisfied my baser urges, but it's done in a positive way. Now that's the gibor that we're talking about. So now you understand the difference between Yom Kippur and Purim. And Yom Kippur, the service is scream and yell and get the guy out of your way. That's a wonderful thing. And when he leaves our lives, we can really focus on Hashem. But what happens? The, Mamish, the night after Yom Kippur, he comes again. And we got to try to chase him again. But on Purim, the job is, we're going to say, Yetzirah, come on in. Come on in, look at a vintage wine. Come on, come on down, Yetzirah. I got a rib steak. I got friends. I got music. I woke up. I, did, I took the day off. It's vacation. And what do you do? You sing Shoshanas Yaakov, Tzaholavis Omecha. The whole idea of Purim is to take everything that's that's holding you back. And especially in interpersonal relationships where unfortunately the Yetzirah grabs us in such a way that people who were friends of ours, if they may do something, oh, if that person can do that, I can't, I can't live with them anymore. It could be a relative, it could be anybody. Purim is when we don't run away 
from those things. On Yom Kippur, we run away from that. On Purim, we invite him to our house. We give him Mishloach Manos. We give him Matanos Yavonim. We give him wine. We drink. And then all of a sudden, we realize that, you know what? I'm tired of chasing away the Yetzirah. I want to own him. And that's where the greatest friendships from the Hatfields and McCoys, from a Jewish point of view, can be developed on Purim. That's the greatness. Not to say, well, I don't like that guy, so I won't see him, and therefore I won't be tempted to speak Yosh and Har about him. I'm a tzaddik. No, you're not. You run away. You're a runner. A tzaddik will, say, will take that person and say, I'm going to love him. I'm going to use what happened in the past as something for us to both grow from. And that's why you're supposed to give the worst mistake you can make on Purim is just hanging around your friends exclusively. It's to get involved with people that are more unfortunate. Sometimes the most unfortunate people in the world are the ones that cause you the most grief. And those are the ones, that's where you dig in to find the gold within the dross. To take out that little bit. You say, I'm satisfied. I got my gold. I'm fine. No, no. Hashem wants every part to be developed properly. And that's the Kovesh Es Yisrael. That's why Yom Kippur, Rim, is not as good as Purim. Purim is a real difficult avoida. It's very easy to lock yourself up for 24 hours and be spiritual. It's very hard to deal with the world with all the dross and to be able to say, Hashem, at the end of Purim, I have a little bit more gold to show you. The gold you get on Shabbos and Yom Kippur is wonderful. Hashem's very proud of us. But Hashem says, I went into the dirtiest place and got you the most refined gold. Hashem says, you did an amazing job. Chag Sameach. And now you've really reached the goal of what creation's about. So with this insight, Hashem should bless us all. That we be inspired by Marev, we be inspired by the Megillah reading, and to be able to accomplish, to ask yourself 25 hours from now, what gold did I smelt out from the garbage pit to be able to present Hashem for this coming year? Amen.